0: Hi, this is Matt, and you're listening to Bluegrass Jam Along, the podcast for anyone and everyone who plays Bluegrass. Hey there, today is June 9th, 2022, um, and yesterday, June the 8th, would have been Tony Rice's birthday. Uh, now, I wanted to do something to mark that, and I'll tell you why I didn't do it on his birthday because. Yesterday, I had the huge honour of interviewing Happy Traum from Homespun Tapes. Um, and I knew he was going to talk about Tony, because how could he not? He's recorded him on many occasions and was a, a sort of lifelong friend. So I thought I'd wait and see if I got something from Happy to add to this, and I did. So you're going to hear from Happy. Um, but what I've done is I've put a few bits and pieces together from some of the different interviews I've done over the past year. Um, so many people mentioned Tony when I talked to them, and I thought it'd be cool to just put a few bits together and have a little celebration of... Some of the cool stuff about him. So, you're going to hear from Chris Eldridge, uh, who was a friend of Tony's, uh, but also Tony mentored him when he was a young player and saw sort of through his career by the sound of it. And um, so, you're going to hear quite a bit from Chris. You're going to hear from Mike Marshall, who played with Tony um, in Debbie Grisman's band. You're going to hear from Happy Traum, who recorded Tony for Homespun um, on a few occasions and spoke to him a lot. You're going to hear a bit from Happy. And you're also going to hear from Marcel Ardans from Lessons with Marcel YouTube channel who spent a huge amount of time transcribing Tony's breaks, sort of understanding his style and sharing that with everybody. So I thought he'd be a cool one to throw in there too. So I hope you enjoy this. It's meant very much as a tribute to Tony um, with love and affection. And as a thank you to him for all the the brilliant music and inspiration he's given us all over the years. So happy birthday to you, Tony. Yesterday, you are fondly remembered. Um, And here's some some of the cool stuff people said. Um, We're going to kick off with Chris Eldridge.
1: You know, one of the big things that that tony really taught us by by example and and me personally as my mentor which he really was a kind of a crucial point in my development um was that you have to be yourself you got to do things the way only you can do them that that's um you know that's kind of where it's at um you know and that. Uh, I, I think he had I think in 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 a way he was he was kind of flattered when he realized that you know people would study his thing and, and imitate him i think I think part of him appreciated that because it's just a it's obviously a really nice thing it's a validation of what you've done but at the same time I know for a fact that it drove him crazy and he didn't he didn't on this other side of him just didn't want to hear that didn't want to hear people doing that um, he wanted to hear people being themselves and being unique and that was something that he and i talked about a lot um because at that point in time i could when i was younger i was really i could really play tony like tony Uh, i can't anymore i can't even come close anymore um but but at a certain point i I was pretty uh good at it and he he kind of was like i've already i beat you to it like i've already done that like mm. you need to kind of find yourself you need to sound like you uh, and, he, and he told me that his ability to sound like himself um, you know when he was young he wanted to play like Clarence white and he said at a certain point I just realized I like, couldn't I just could never be Clarence and there there were there were things I had weaknesses that would al- wouldn't allow me to, to be like Clarence and 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 of course um, you know in those weaknesses he found his strengths and then you know look back what he became and what he did he's he kind of became the the um i would argue the the all-time most important figure in, in bluegrass guitar i kind of redefined not only bluegrass guitar created this whole vocabulary you could use elevated everybody he played with um but he also changed the music and kind of ushered it into its modern form i'd kind of argue more than anybody
0: So next up, we're going to hear a little bit from Marcel O'Downs, from uh, Lessons with Marcel. And this is a a chunk of the interview that I did with him last year. And just as a bit of context, we've been talking about Tony playing ovation guitars and sort of, you know, how people didn't believe it and some of the sort of incredulity around it. And uh, Marcel had a, a few interesting thoughts about that. And then we sort of chat a bit about... Our favorite breaks, and Marcel goes on to talk about Tony's rhythm playing, which has become a bit of a recurring feature when I talk to people about Tony on the podcast. Uh, so, yeah, here's Marcel.
2: Like, I, for instance, Manzanita. I think Manzanita is played on an ovation guitar. Um, but depending on the the mix that you're trying to get, um, the ovations tend to be a little less boomier than a Martin. So it's almost like this thing has already been low cut. You know, So if you mm-hmm. go into the recording studio, you want your lead to cut more. You want some of the bass taken out of your instrument. The ovation already does that. Or say say you have a really active bass player and you want to play your rhythm part and you don't want the low frequencies of the guitar to mix with the bass maybe grab the ovation maybe that would be good for the rhythm part yeah, yeah so that's kind of how they used it you know it like did a different job
0: I mean I guess you know particularly playing with more than one guitar and everybody's got a D twenty eight they're all going to occupy the same sort of space so if you've got something that's got a different voice it's going to shine out a bit
2: that's right yeah it's it's a weird thing to think about because ovations are are uh, an eternal joke now but yeah they really like those things
0: yeah yeah so uh talking to tony rice i guess brings me on to you've transcribed a whole load of tony's licks and breaks um and a whole load of other i mean you probably lost count of how many solos you've transcribed now um do you have a favorite bluegrass guitar break of all time man that's a hard question um, I can give you a minute to think about it, and I'll tell you my answer if you like. <laughs> <So> that, <laughs> well, my, what am I... No, go, oh, no, go, you go. go ahead. I was just going to say, I was going to give you a bit of thinking time, but um, both my favourite guitar break and my favourite mandolin break are on the same tune, and it's um, Tony Rice's I've Waited As Long As I Can. I just think the solo on that is just brilliant. It's got a bit of all the things that make Tony, Tony. Is I've waited as long as I
2: can. Is that on uh, Plays and Sings? Plays and Sings Bluegrass.
0: Is it? That's a good question because I first heard it on a compilation, so I get confused because I always hear something else after it in my head, and I get That's lost it. as to which album it's on. But yeah, it's a, it's just got the best solo.
2: The the only reason I bring it up, and I might be wrong, you know, people can look it up. But the uh, the the album Plays and Sings Bluegrass. Tony plays a lot of weird stuff, despite it being like a you know him playing traditional bluegrass on that record that record has a lot of like bizarre tony licks on it so it's a it's kind of a lot of people's favorite uh i know it's trey hensley's favorite bluegrass record um it's one of mine too um i was going to say that one of my favorite tony breaks is um on the tune uh shadows um there's this really really um beautiful thing that he does uh right at the beginning of the break uh and I, maybe one of the reasons I like it so much is it kind of confounds me to, to like put it on paper. The, the very first three notes are almost like a quarter note triplet starting off the beat. It's this very like, uh, it kind of just washes over you. It's like this waterfall effect as the break starts. And it's just gorgeous. It's beautiful. And uh, if anything, it just shows like how interesting his time is. Like The feel on the beginning of that break is just remarkable. Uh, and he plays all kinds of just gorgeous beautiful things on that it's lovely it's not it's not a hot break by any means it's just a beautiful break
0: oh i'm gonna to have to go back and listen to that i'm gonna stick a link to that track in the show notes so people can go and listen to it too yeah yeah, yeah. i think it's the, I mean, it's the thing with you know listen to tony rice and the time because it all because everything feels so right like everything was a choice that no other choice could have possibly been made it all sounds so in its place that you like sometimes you don 't even think about the time because it's it 's just so lyrical and fluid or even when he 's playing quickly and he 's playing hard it 's just like the time is incredible
2: it's kind of like um, it's kind of like when artists uh play with uh, proportions of items and they can give you a really interesting perspective on something by playing with proportion um but if you sit and think about it you know that that's not what the item or the person actually looks like um you know they talk about like uh uh the statue of david um how like the the hands are much larger than they should be but uh when you're looking up at it it all makes sense right it feels very proportional and that's kind of what tony's rhythm does it uh it kind of ebbs and flows sometimes he's rushing and sometimes he's laying back and it's it's more than just playing in time he's playing around the beat in such a nice way that can just be gorgeous
0: yeah yeah and that's one of the things that um that i i sort of picked up most listening to a lot of the tributes to tony and the various sort of conversations on facebook and the various things but like the amount of people who mentioned his rhythm playing more than his lead playing and and the transitions between his lead and rhythm as well and just sort of that sense that the same way people talk about Placido Domingo on an opera stage is that he just ups everybody else's game by 50% just by being there and doing what he does. Yeah. Just brings more out of everybody else as well. And that's a beautiful thing to hear about a musician. There's a great
2: uh little uh like QA that's uh that's on YouTube. So someone with like a handheld video camera in the 90s, and maybe Tony had just given a workshop or something, but they're asking him candidly a couple of questions. And um, I believe they asked him to, to demonstrate some rhythm. And he says, oh, I can't do that without a band here. And I thought that was such an interesting statement for him to make. And, and I feel the same way now that I think about it. Like, uh, I can teach you some basics of rhythm. I can show you lots of different things that people do. But rhythm is a, a reactionary element. It has to have other people yeah, yeah. for it to, like, um, sort of do what it's supposed to do. It's, it's hard to do in a vacuum. Um, so it's funny that you know the thing that that tony's most known for this thing and someone's like you know hey can you can you demo some of your excellent rhythm and he's like "Ah, i can't do it unless there's so many people playing that it's hard to hear i mean to me tony
1: as a rhythm guitar player um that's what just still blows my mind um i mean tony as a soloist is incredible and what power he played with and the clarity is unbelievable but but I could, you know, I could let that go if I had to choose that or just the rhythm guitar. I'd, I'd, I'd somehow have the rhythm guitar because the way that he was able to um, participate in the ensemble and and lift up his fellow musicians, um, was was unreal and unbelievable. And that that's something that I've, um, I kind of learned about from Tony, and that's something I've really tried to study as a rhythm guitar player um you know i'm not half as good at it as tony is but that's something that's always been really important to me i've tried to be a guitar player who can hopefully get in there and 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 uh i don't want to call it magic but like but kind of but that's kind of what baila how Baylor describes tony's playing he said you can just bring a little extra magic into the situation so so that to me is like the highest calling of bluegrass is that you don't just strum the chords um mm. you know when it gets to like a higher level art, you you kind of make the music more rich and you make help do things that are going to help everybody to play better.
0: Oh, that's really interesting because it's the I, as somebody who has you know I've never seen Tony Rice play or, or meet him, just the when all the tributes and all the podcasts and videos and interviews were sort of coming out at the beginning of the year, the thing that I was most struck by was the the way everybody talked about his rhythm playing and the the sort of the space. And platform he created for other people and how then I found that fascinating because you know we uh, most bluegrass players spend most of their time practicing melody and taking breaks and not much time practicing rhythm and that's mostly what you're going to do as a guitar player is play rhythm yeah um and just to hear people talk about that I found that really sort of in line I went back and listened to it all with with sort of fresh ears and I interviewed um Marcel from Lessons with Marcel, the YouTube channel, oh, yeah. and and he was saying he sort of seen this clip and somebody had asked Tony to demonstrate his rhythm style and he said, "Well, I can't do it because there's nobody else here. I can't do it on my own." And that's yeah. such a remarkable. He's like, "I can't show you how to play rhythm guitar because there's nobody else to play with."
1: Yeah, it's it was completely interactive, completely reactive, and um, and yeah, he did. He made everybody everybody play better because it wasn't just it wasn't just his time feel although his time feel was unreal it's like for me man you know i can get i can get all the chords and the note like that stuff i can do any all the stuff tony could do but i can't get the feel i have tried my whole life i can't make it feel like that i just can't do it um and i wish i could i would you know but but it's like so with tony it's just that that feeling that he had with for it was man it was like I don't know. It just, it made everybody sore. Another thing that Bela, I heard Bela say about Tony um, uh, that I loved was he said, it was like uh, like stepping onto a magic carpet. It's Mm -hmm. just like you step onto this thing and you just like start flying. You didn't know that you could just be on this thing and then you start flying. But, um, but yeah, but you know, the thing that that kind of caught my ear that I, I could do was, was, and that Tony does so beautifully is like play all these different, colors like bring all these interesting colors to bear as well Mm. as that kind of rhythmic touch um and that's so cool i mean uh, one of my favorite records um maybe my favorite record for that is is the bluegrass sessions tales the acoustic planet part two the the, um, record that they made uh and and i you know listening to the rhythm guitar on that record and and it's to me it's not necessarily about tony's feel on that record and part of this might be how bayla edited it because a bayla edits stuff a lot and he'll go kind of go and try and get all the best parts um and it feels great on there but it's that to me is not that record's fascinating from a kind of rhythm guitar content perspective um because you can tell that Bayla was like getting in there and just like the best the coolest little thing like where did that come from Um, it's all over on that record and it's, it's really fun to kind of put, put that record on and just, and just listen through and pay attention to the rhythm. Um, it's, it's beautiful,
3: totally beautiful.
0: Cool. A couple of those bits with Chris were cut together from different sections of the interview that I did with him, so if you want to hear them sort of in their full context, go back and listen to the whole thing. Um, but yeah, I just sort of thought they might make sense put together like that. Um, next up, we've got Mike Marshall, who played with Tony and David Christmas band, and uh, I just... This is the coolest description of a musician I think I've ever heard. Um, but yeah, see what you think.
3: I mean, when I think about playing with Tony Rice... Oh shit, it was just like a it's like a firestorm, an intimate firestorm <laughs> washing over you. Like a bath, but also burning all your skin off <laughs> and, <laughs> and re and replanting it with new skin. It was much better. <laughs>
0: wow. That's the, I, mean, and, yeah. uh,
3: I don't know. You just can't get that. And he got it from J.D., who got it from Bill, who got it from Jimmy Martin, who got it from Bill Monroe.
0: So final word tonight is going to go to Happy Traum, who recorded Tony for Homespun um, several occasions and maintained a friendship with him right up to the end. Um, and yeah, Happy just tells us a cool story about about Tony and one of the recording sessions in particular. Um, and I thought we'd finish with that. So, yeah, I hope you've enjoyed this. Uh, over to Happy.
3: And I think Tony, for one, um, really appreciated what we did because, uh, you know, when I first approached him, it was around 70, maybe 1978 or so, 77, 78. Um, as I said before, he, he had never really taught anything. Um, and somehow the sessions we did together set us up for a friendship that went right until – the time he passed, um, he was always appreciative. And he did several videos for us. I mean, quite a few. In fact, the very first one he did was one of the first videos we ever did. And it was quite a – not a grade A experience for him or for us. Not what came out. What came out was great. But um, we, we went into – we were here and he came to Woodstock to visit us. This was probably – 1983, maybe 84 or something like that. And, uh, we booked Todd Rundgren's studio here in Woodstock, but he had never really done any video there. And it turned out it was the winter and there was no heat. So it was freezing in the studio and there were all kinds of technical glitches. And by the time we got the tape running, poor Tony had been sitting there for hours. And somehow for a guy who was, everybody knows, a very high strung individual, not only his guitar is a high strung, but he's, he was a, but he could not have been more patient and nicer. And what came out of that was some songs that like his Church Street Blues, um, which has been bootlegged innumerable times on YouTube has gotten millions of views. unfortunately those millions of people don't think ahead and then buy his video, but uh, at least at least they are watching it, so that's good.
0: and that's it. I hope you've enjoyed this. Um, it was fun listening back to the interviews to put it together. Uh, just so much so much cool stuff in there if you want to hear any of those interviews i'll put links um, in the show notes so you can go and check them out um, and the interview full interview with happy is going to come out uh, next monday so look out for that as well um, yeah great i will see you next time have a great week happy picking bluegrass Jamalong is proud to be sponsored by collings guitars and mandolins making some of the finest guitars and mandolins in the world since the 1970s visit collingsguitars.com and find out why